You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. this morning, uh, as I try to say as often as I can in these gatherings. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, We are the church. Uh, If it's your first time, uh, really glad that you're here. If it's your thousandth time, glad that you're here too. Um, If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who most Sundays gets to open up the scriptures uh, and expound them. Uh, That's surely the case this morning as we open up God's word in this fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, As I mentioned now, throughout the course of the Advent season, the word Advent derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. It's a season meant to focus our attention, should come as no surprise to to most of us, on the coming of Jesus into the world, the joyful, glad-hearted celebration of his first coming in the humble trappings of a smelly stable, Emmanuel, God with us, and at the same time, the hopeful anticipation of his second coming, the return of heaven's king to fully and finally fulfill our every longing. The aim of our time in the scriptures this Advent season has been and and is to explore the traditional Advent themes of hope and peace and joy and love and faith as a people living in the, the already and not yet time in between, the people situated in redemptive history between the two Advents, the two comings of Jesus with the hopeful prayer that an advent would occur for us personally, that we wouldn't go through the season indifferent to God's presence, caught up in the motions of dead, ritualistic, religious practices that seek to keep God at bay, but rather that God would awaken our hearts, that he would break in on us with new surprises, that he would touch us with a renewing and restoring power, that he would awaken us to both a a sense of deepest joy as we look back on the promises fulfilled already in the first coming of Jesus and a feeling sense of deepest longing and looking forward to the many promises that await in Jesus' second coming. And so it's with that said that I invite you to open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. We've already heard part of this morning's passage read. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You're welcome to use that Bible. You're welcome to take that Bible with you as the church's gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Merry Christmas. Let me go ahead and, as you're opening up, uh, pray for our time in the scriptures together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the intensified experience that the Advent season brings to us of what it is to be a people living in the time in between, though that's something that we surely are meant to explore the other 11 months of the year. I do pray as we continue to sit with these themes of hope and peace and joy, love and faith, that you would stir our hearts to a a deeper joy for the already of these things that are ours in Christ because Jesus, you came a couple thousand years ago. But that at the same time, our our hearts would be stirred with the deepest of longing for this Christmas story to continue on to its great happily ever after for we who are united to Christ by faith. 
the fulfillment of hope ultimately, the fulfillment of peace and joy and love, when faith shall become sight. God, I pray that you would give me a feeling sense of the things that I preached this morning, along with everyone else in this space gathered. Lord Jesus, that you would be honored above all. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in power during this time together to stir us, to awaken us, that an advent would occur, that you would break in on us even now as we sit with your inspired word in front of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So you don't need me to tell you that the Christmas story is a love story. One of the most famous verses in all of scripture, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's perhaps one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible, at least in the time and place in which you and I find ourselves in redemptive history. Worn by Tim Tebow in his younger playing days, printed on the bottom rim of soda cups at In-N-Out Burger, printed on the bottom of shopping bags at Forever 21. I know that last one because I Googled it, not by experience. John 3.16, it's, it's been referred to as the gospel in a nutshell, familiar to, to both believers and unbelievers alike. A verse that uh, we'll come back to toward the end of our time in the scriptures this morning and tying it into the beauty of Christmas. But in order to get there, uh, I wanna first take us to the book of 1 John, where we find two statements that lay the foundation for our understanding of, of love if you go to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, we're told, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Right, there, there's a lot that we could unpack in these verses, which make up one of the, I would argue, one of the greatest treatises on love in all of the Bible, right up there with 1 Corinthians 13. But for the purpose of, of exploring this idea of love uh, in the context of Advent, I wanna draw our attention to two statements that, that lay the foundation for our understanding of love, two statements that, that go hand in hand. One, God is, or, or excuse me, love is from God, verse seven. And then two, God is love, verse eight. Love is from God, meaning that, that love emanates from God in the way that a, a ray of light emanates from the sun or the way warmth emanates from a fireplace. Love is from God, verse seven. Love emanates from God, which makes all the sense in the world because God is love, verse eight. The sun emanates light because the sun is light. A fire emanates warmth because a fire is warmth. So it is with God who emanates love because God is love. Love being a, a necessary part of God's nature from eternity past, as the scriptures teach of, of an intra-Trinitarian love within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before anything that was made was made, including both human beings and angels. Which, by the way, we, we could have talked about for the past couple weeks, like we did with hope in week one of this season of, of Advent, as there's also been perfect joy and perfect peace uh, within the Godhead from eternity past, going back to the last couple weeks. 
As it regards love, one of the most explicit examples of intra-Trinitarian love from eternity past found in John chapter 17, verse 24 of that great chapter of the Bible, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Here it is, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The, the eternal fellowship of the Trinity, a fellowship of perfect love. Coming back to 1 John, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Right now, now here's the incredibly fascinating thing about this passage of scripture. We might be inclined to think that John would go on to define love for us that he would offer some sort of dictionary definition of love. When you say God is love, what, what are you talking about, John? What do you mean? Is love a feeling? Is love an, an action? Is it an allegiance? And by the way, biblically, love expresses itself in all of those ways, all of those things, affection, action, and allegiance. John could have cleared that up for us. We've struggled with that for a couple thousand years. He could have done it as succinctly as his declaration that God is love and love is from God. And yet notice that that's not what John does, nor is it what any of the systematic theologies that I sat with in preparing this sermon do. The love of God, so incomprehensible that the best way John can think to make sense of it is not to give us a definition, but an example. As John declares in the very next verse of this great treatise on love, First John chapter four, verse nine, he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Rather than say God is love, and, and here's a helpful definition of love, John says God is love, and here's what the love of God looks like on display. It looks like Christmas. It looks like a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The love of God made manifest among us in the sending of his only son into the world that we might live through him. Beautifully captured in the words of a, of a poem written by the English writer Christina Rossetti in 1885, which many since have attempted to put to music in the form of a Christmas carol. She writes, love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angel gave the sign that Christmas is not only a story of peace, a story of joy, a story of hope, but it's too a story of love. The love of God made manifest among us with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us, the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes and amen, surely part of the wonder of Christmas. And yet some are content to leave the Christmas story there having no place in their understanding of Christmas for a cross, flattening verses like John 3.16 of their meaning, understanding God's giving of his only son to be the sending of his only son, but not the sacrifice of his only son. And yet, coming back to the words of 1 John, Chapter four, verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. There you have it in that verse. But notice John follows with these words in verse 10. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That Christmas is not just, and many, you know this, it's not just about Jesus being born into the world, but about Jesus being born into the world that he might bear the wrath of God that we deserve as covenant-breaking sinners. It's what the word propitiation means. As we talked about a couple weeks ago when we looked at peace, it is no Christmas at all without the lyric of God and sinners reconciled. I love the way John Piper says it. He says, Christmas, what is it? Here's a definition. The son of God expressing the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so that we could enjoy the presence of God. It's right to celebrate the birth of Christ, the wonder of God incarnate, lying among the the feeding troughs of Bethlehem in, in humble wrappings. But we must too remember that another day would soon come when Jesus would yet again be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying within borrowed property, enshrouded in burial linens in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, Because the the truth of Christmas, as we talk about a lot around here this time of year, is that Jesus was born to die. Those tiny hands destined to receive the nails of crucifixion. As I've said before, Christmas, it's an indictment before it's a joy. A declaration that Isaiah 53, we like sheep have all gone astray. And yet there's good news for a world of lost sinners. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, who is Christ the Lord. The love of God made manifest among us from the cradle to the cross. The story of Christmas, the story of uh, the, the display of greatest love. As we often sing, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. Here we go from the cradle to the cross in this song. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Perhaps some of you are struggling this morning with whether God really loves you. As you tread water in a a sea of sorrow and, and suffering this Christmas season. Few people have known sorrow and suffering like the Apostle Paul, short of the Lord Jesus himself. And yet Paul could say not that God hated him, but that God loved him with an everlasting love. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the son of God who loved me. And how did he love me? He gave himself for me. As Paul says elsewhere in scripture more explicitly, Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus himself declared, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's it's not always easy to sense God's love, particularly when we struggle to understand what he's doing in our lives, when things uh, go from bad to worse rather than bad to better. 
And those moments oftentimes were filled with confusion, were disillusioned with doubt, overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. In those moments, you and I haven't been forgotten by God, nor have his affections grown cold toward us. His love, it's bigger than our circumstances, expressed in the greatest gift of love that you and I could ever know. The gift of his beloved son who stooped down at Christmas, a God who promises that nothing shall separate those who are in Christ from this love, God's love. Romans chapter eight, very famous passage, verses 35 through 39. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, and the answer to all these questions is no, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or even sword. As it is written, Paul says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from this love, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love came down at Christmas in the person of Jesus Christ that we might know the inseparable love of God. Wretches made treasures, orphans made sons and daughters of the living God. This is a love deep enough to get beneath the worst of our sin. This is a love high enough to raise us up with Christ and seat us with him in heavenly places. This is a love wide enough to embrace the world. And this is a love long enough to span the scope of eternity. A love long enough to span the scope of eternity. Which means that, that we'll never come to the end if I can use this Christmas language of unwrapping the gift of God's incomprehensible, inexhaustible love. To quote the lyrics of the, the glorious hymn, The Love of God, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole those stretched from sky to sky. Again, Christmas, it's not only a story of peace, a story of joy, a story of hope, but it's too a story of love. The love of God made manifest among us in Christ a story that will continue on into the pages of eternity. And God's beloved redeemed said, amen, come Lord Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna worship this God, this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, caught up in the fellowship of the love that we've been brought into in Christ we're gonna do that with our song. I encourage you as we sing to consider this both and, this past, present, and future, two comings of Christ. We sit in the middle, we look back, and we say, I know God loves me because Christ came in the world to die for me. 
And I know that nothing can separate me from his love even now. And I know that this is a love that will carry on into eternity and will never cease to write poems and songs about this love. We'll never cease to talk about this love in the age to come. So we get a foretaste of that in the church gathered, singing corporately this morning. We'll also have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper over these last couple songs. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of those elements, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. If you are a Christian, and many of you know this, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, and we dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. Again, I don't know what each and every person brings into this place this morning. Maybe you come in struggling with that question, does God really love me? I am one of those people treading water in a sea of sorrow and suffering this Christmas season. I pray that as you sit with that, the bread and the cup in front of you, that you would see the gospel made visible, the love of God for you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.